Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane Heating and Cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. Listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at the website petro.com on this wednesday december 21st now some of the um governor mckee campaign promises for him that for him to get all these endorsements he had to make or he did make i didn't he didn't have to do anything he decided to make some uh very expensive promises out there he decided to make some very expensive promises in order to get the various endorsements and some of them are not how would i describe it kind of like below the fold right you get some of the high high profile ones but then you also get some that are like a little bit not as well known but still can make a difference and then obviously also still very expensive right for for us the the taxpayers we now we get the burden and have to pay out for governor mckee's campaign promises so he made promises in order to get votes and get himself reelected. and then as a result of that now we have to pay for it and a good example and i want to give credit to the providence journal mckee agrees to landmark new contract with at-home child care workers he has struck a deal governor dan mckee new contract the arm of the service employees international of course union hundreds of state subsidized daycare operators work out of their own home taking care of other people's children the new deal and i always like this it's retro we're going to make it retroactive to january 1st increases the wages the state pays 337 at-home daycare operators how about this one but stop short of giving them health insurance and retirement benefits the union was seeking excuse me increases of 2.5 percent in the year that begins january 1st coming up and 2.5 percent in the state budget that begins july 1st 2024 they'll also get 1.9 million here we go retroactive payments to make them whole from what they would have gotten had this deal been effective a year earlier excuse me they were the ones negotiating why are we making them whole they were the ones that couldn't agree to a deal so do you see the the pattern here they hold out they won't agree to a deal when they agree to a deal oh no you're gonna pay me retroactive for when i wouldn't agree to the deal what no that should be an incentive to sign the deal not it's then everything becomes retroactive the at-home daycare operators receive 224 weekly covid enhanced payments for each child in their full-time care through december 2021 and 185 dollars since then they get up to 250 weekly per child retroactive is that word again to january 1st 2022 <laughs> it's not yet fully clear if the overall seven seventy eight point four million state law faker budget for the child care will cover the new contract an additional 3.2 million this year and 2.6 million next year but in the face of declining enrollments 
Why do you keep giving them more money if it's going down? Of course, the they talked about a landmark new contract settlement with the McKee administration. Folks, how about the fact they they it's it's retroactive. It it should be as I said, it should be the incentive to sign the new deal. But instead, what's the rush? We're going to end up getting it back anyway. This unique group of private state contractors is prohibited by state law from receiving the same benefits as state employees. The union has never stopped pushing for the benefits. Since it was 2013, Governor Chafee signed the controversial law allowing at-home child care providers to unionize in requiring the state negotiate with their union representative. That's where the rubber meets the road. That doesn't go on out of the states. And the state did not have to do that, as a matter of fact. And nor should they do that. So the two sides reached their compromises, retirement and health insurance. They worked together to, uh, together to identify a third-party administrator. But holds on, there's still more money coming here. As part of the contract, each provider will also receive a computing device. Oh, here's $1,000. Go out and buy yourself a new computer. Why do we have to pay for that? The idea is to give providers an opportunity to access online training. Oh, I see. So that way they can do the online training. The contract also allows home-based child care providers to have the opportunity to shape upcoming changes to this bright star system. Listen to this. It also includes $375,000 increase in funding for the Union Employer Joint Training Fund. That sounds like a scam. So now we have to pay for that as well. But wait, there's more. Um, but developments put in pr increasing pressure on the union to agree to terms, including a rate cut for the in-home providers. Recently, as September, had 1,420 children enrolled in their home daycare operations. The at-home providers had benefited from enhanced rates ranging from 162 to 224 weekly, depending on age, for each of their, quote, full-time enrollees. In their case, full-time meant 30 hours a week. They also received, here comes more money flying in that we're paying for, pandemic retention bonuses, 1500 in the fiscal year 2022, 750 quarterly, here we go, up to 3,000 in the current year. Why are we paying them $750 to keep doing their job? Do they really need a $3,000 bonus? So we're going to give you all this money. We hope you like your job, and we're going to keep giving you bonuses. See, see, this is exactly as I had predicted. Once... This is where Governor McKee is, I, I don't know if he's the worst negotiator ever, but he certainly, it's like he's, he's vying for the title. So not only do they, um, did they pay the bonuses, right, during COVID, now it is, we're going to continue to pay. The problem when you deal with the union is once something goes in, it's very difficult, oh, no, no, no give backs, very, very difficult to get something out. So now the fact that the McKee administration paid them, we all know it started with the Providence Teachers Union. They got $3,000 bonuses. Then all the state workers got $3,000 bonuses. And then what's Governor McKee doing now? Now it becomes it's a regular thing. It's a quarterly bonus. A number of politicians attended the announcement. Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, who thanks several members of the General Assembly, Representative Scott Grace uh, Diaz, she's got something going with them. Scott Slater, Marianne Shellcross, Catherine Gazarian, listen to this, and describe them as, quote, fighters for the child care providers. Diaz, Grace Diaz, who had a child care business for six years, said the industry has come a long way. We started fighting for social justice. We were fighting. Folks, what fighting are they doing when it's a Democrat-controlled General Assembly, Democrat-controlled State House? And yet they always like, like, that's the uh, Lieutenant Governor Matos. 
You know, we're fighters for the child care providers. Fighters? Why, why are we giving these individuals $750 quarterly, quarterly now, up to $3,000 in the current year? See, this is, as I said, this is exactly as I predicted. This is the problem with Governor McKee. He was so anxious to try to get elected. He was panicking at his falling polling numbers. And what did he do? He made all these commitments and made all these campaign promises that we have to live up to now. The meaning, and we, when I mean we, us, you, look in the mirror. All the taxpayers now have to live up to his campaign promises. All right, it's Wednesday. Much more ahead right here on the John DePietro Show. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. AtMed Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At AtMed Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to atman urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing atman urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 atwood avenue in johnston that's right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich online at admedurgentcare.net folks you are listening to the john DePietro show weekdays we start at 11 we go until 2 it's am 1380 99.9 you can always listen online at the website Petro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, managing editor, IncaRising.com. It's Justin Katz. And Justin, after um, at least two weeks, maybe even a little bit longer than that, but uh, this battle of the homeless encampment at the State House, uh, the McKee people got some things that kind of broke their way in the form of uh, change strategy, judge-delayed things, Gave them some time seemingly to hammer some things out. Um, definitely some gut acrimonious and, and the McKeep governor himself saying that it was the advocates that wanted to keep some of the homeless people up there. But in the end, this uh, over on Cranston Street, the armory, that is now the, quote, warming station. They brought in crossroads. He got a ruling from the judge. And on Saturday morning, I actually went up and. They come in and all the tents are finally gone. This battle of uh, Governor McKee and the homeless seemingly for now has come to an end. Yeah, well, I mean, it was kind of inevitable. I mean, the, the judge ruled that you don't have a right to set up your home on the property of the state house. I mean, it's it's kind of an obvious thing um, that was would have really put us in a precarious position if, if it were really the case that people could just live on public property. Um, right. And that, so I, I, we, we averted that. I mean, the theater of it all is, is pretty, pretty astounding. And it, the, the way the governor has been kind of trapped in this, you know, the, the progressives with the, with the, um, making it making a thing in the spring and he didn't quite know what to do about it it's it's a very strange kind of an issue i i've gotten a few um, battles with journalists particularly at the globe you you can't criticize anything about it it's it's pretty astonishing i mean he, and i think that's part of what the the governor's caught in i mean if you if you point out you know maybe we need to focus on other things like improving the economy and the housing yeah. suddenly you're, you're attacking them uh, you're making and it, it it's very, very bizarre. They, they really do. It makes you think it's sort of like they the homelessness is this issue. They can trot out. They write some stories about it with some nice pictures of a family. And then nobody's allowed to criticize it. Everybody gets to give up and it's obvious what you have to do. You got to give you got to give them free housing. You've got to crack down on landlords. Uh, it's it's a very it's. Unlike other issues, it's, there's very much almost like a consensus that there's just no discussion. 
it's just something that evil people are doing to other people and we could just solve this all with a snap of our fingers that's kind of the attitude and i think that's what you see manifesting when you get arguments like they have a right to live on in front of the state house i mean it's just it's just this bizarre psychology that we we kind of need to figure out how to start addressing and now that you know, kind of the the mad the crazies and and children are are really running the show in some ways in government hey, just to catch you make and i hope everyone just caught that you make a brilliant point and that is the unbiased way that this is covered in the media and and you know as i think of it and i just thought of it as you're saying it i don't do you ever remember i can't recall i should say one article about a homeless individual that in any way may criticize them be negative about them show them in a poor light uh for instance you know the the globe recently just did one of this family and uh, i think they have three children and uh, you know through a series of it I, i'll admit that the state you think should Hire or some, somehow, maybe if it's in board children, but have a caseworker almost working with them because that's an unusual situation. But, you know, they make, I mean, you hate to say it, but they make poor decisions and staying in a hotel is certainly not a decision. Um, you know, something should be carved out. But the term homeless, the moment someone puts that forward, uh, it, it becomes a shield and it's a shield that can't be penetrated. Another good example, Justin, I think I'd like to hear your thoughts is. Is Steve Alquist? I mean, he basically was—he wasn't a, a, a member of the, a journalist reporting on it. He was the lead advocate. He was the one leading the charge against Governor McKee. But he was, you know, championed and the unbelievable work he's doing, and blah blah blah, and and, and calling out there's five hundred people and there's fifty of them up there, and and in the end, I, I think there were eight of them. I was there. Sat all the tents were empty. I think there's even an element of it's irresponsible the way some of this reporting has been. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, but I think the it's very difficult to tell where the line ends on the advocates and the and the journalists. I mean, I, the article you're referencing about the family was by Alexa. I don't know how to pronounce yes. it. Go. And um, I mean, it, it, a compelling story. I had a lot of sympathy for the family. I mean, they've got four kids. I've got four kids. He's a roofer. I was in construction. I mean, I, and I was certainly in that that range. If one or two things hadn't broken my way, we'd have potentially been living in tents but but what's what's interesting is it's so it sort of that story for example presented it as a tragedy that they've got a kind of all kind of camp together in one a relative one room in a relative's house and that kind of thing which you know when i was in that situation i remember i'd arguing with progressives and they would say things like well you're lucky you've got family to live with other people don't have that you know well yeah because that's part of that's part of how we fix this problem is we we shore up families we make sure that right. people each other without having to rely on government you can't even have that conversation though because the minute you say anything and all i think i all i think i said on alexis article was that the journalists never really challenged the status quo democrats in the system that creates this problem in the first place and she got all kinds of defensive started getting very i'm going to hold your hand and walk you through this and like very condescending and, and kind of wow and, and so you can't even raise simple points <laughs> one line on twitter suddenly you're you're attacking their great journalism you're attacking the homeless that and i you know i don't care if myself. i mean it's a it's friday night twitter spat whatever but the that attitude really really prevents you prevents us as a community from from figuring out how to solve these problems and the progressives love it because when you can't have a discussion the solution is oh well we got to just have government do something and i think that's that i think is this issue is very indicative of that you can't as we were discussing when when they were out when the homeless were out there and the homeless there was no you know list of who are these people really what are they really doing here and i i had tweeted at steve just when he noted they were packing up all the tents and i they left their tents you know i mean sure there's probably not a lot of places to store them in a homeless shelter or if they if they were sent to prison for whatever reason uh but it just seemed very it just seems strange to me that you're just leaving their tents it seems like maybe advocates could come get the tents and then uh phil isle who's an Another oh, local yeah. progressive journalist. He's oh, look at those outfits they're wearing. They were just wearing kind of your, your painter covers that you wear when you, you paint your house or, or sure. you know, when you're gonna be dealing with clothes of people who maybe haven't had the chance to shower for a couple of weeks. I mean, it's not a, it's not an unreasonable thing for workers to wear these things. But it really points out, okay, well then where are you? 
where why are you watching steve why are you up these tents for and holding them for them i mean there's just so many it's it's just such this weird the as by default government has to do this and government has to take action and fix things and be human and I think they're really setting themselves up for fall because it's it's this very government that causes the problem. And that's that's the point that they, they never want to get to. They always want to talk about the symptoms and what more taxpayers uh, can do but or what more landlords can be forced to do, which is another problem. But uh, it's, it's an interesting situation. And, and I think the first step is figuring out how we can start actually discussing the situation with people who disagree and not just becoming this this flame war. Folks, again, our segment is Politics This Week. With me, Justin Katz, managing editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, I want to go back to that article because I am seeing that the reporter on it, you know, so proud. Less than 24 hours later, they've started a GoFundMe. It's raised more than 15000 That that's, that's advocacy. Why, you know, this whole business of and even promoting, you know, thanks to our readers. So I, I know uh, they just created a GoFundMe. That This becomes... You know, other homeless people want to be written about. So a GoFundMe will then be started for them. And then boom, the, you know, $15,000. It, it, I, I mean, I, I, again, I recognize you can't criticize in any way. But this almost, I, I don't know, there's just something about that, that to me that it rings hollow. And I like your point of what about those who aren't written about and what government function failed these people? Right, exactly. I mean, we, we need to we need to get to know what's solving it. I mean, people people ask, well, what's your what's the alternative solution? Well, the alternative solution is to improve the economy, increase, decrease regulation, so you can have more housing. Those are the solutions that will generate fewer homeless. And then the only people who are homeless are people with defi- de- with definable problems like mental illness or drug abuse. And then you can treat that illness to get them back on track. But that's not at all where they, they don't even consider that a solution. And but I think the journalism points an important one it is advocacy it is and that is all we get out of mainstream journalism you cannot trust a thing they write on anything because you have to suspect that they're advocates on some level and i think we see this with mike stanton teaching journalism at uconn and and etc that's they're being taught that that's the job i think uh they're not being taught to be the hard-nosed old uh you know grease cover or ink covered uh, wretches out there gathering hard stories and challenging power. That's not at all what they're being taught to do. The, the truth is not an issue. And this is why, I mean, it, it's a very broad topic. I mean, this is why you see them advocating for years for conservatives to be kicked off of Twitter and then panicking like the entire world's collapsing when some of them are are, are taken off Twitter for doxing Elon Musk. So, I mean, that's it's it gets to this, the, the self-righteousness and they, they think they are moral crusaders and activists. They don't think they are just people whose job it is to ignore it all and get a story so people know what's going on. I also like that on that Twitter feed that this libertarian posted, you know, they spent $40,000 on hotel rooms, yet there are all these apartments in Woodsocket that are three bedroom. Uh, 42 apartments would suck at under $1,500 a month that they could have rented and then put, let's be honest, this is about making poor personal decisions. That, that's one of those things, Justin, you'd never see that written in, in an article about homeless. Right. Well, they, they, they've, and we've discussed before during, I mean, during, during the Trump era, they were already kind of the, you know, the conservative was the last person mentioned or, or the alternative voices were, were kind of found, but they were downplayed during the Trump era. They, the journalists I found have just decided they don't need to do that anymore. You, you don't need to give the other side uh, any airing. And, and it's a real, it's a real problem. Cause first of all, people trying to consider the issue don't, don't get that other perspective. It's real easy to make something seem plausible of position given but it also reduces the kind of the, the trust in the news stories and that's that's a problem as well folks again uh quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz managing editor anchorising.com right here on the john DePietro show remain healthy stop in and see marie at it's my health 1099 menden road in cumberland you can also look for on facebook but call her 401-305-3585 you know the building it's that historic white church diagonally across from davenport restaurant it's my health what do you find inside well first of all great service great selection 
vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products like ICE, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum, over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices, plus hemp and CBD products, natural skincare. It's my health. Pop in and see Marie, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. There's things for your pets. There's things for your children. There's things for your health. Stay healthy at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Again, call Marie, 401-305-3585, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Well, uh, Justin, Mayor Lorza, he um, first kind of poked his head out of the tent, I'd say, uh, when he had that press conference with the incoming mayor, Brett Smiley, who attended, and then Ambassador Joe Paolino, Angel Tavares, and he took a pretty aggressive tone towards the situation with the schools. And I think his proposal, I don't think it's been vetted enough by the media, because to me, the way it was presented was this business that, oh, they, you know, go all charter. But he's done now two interviews that I've seen, one on Channel 10, one on Channel 12. And he lays out, I think, you know, more of, first of all, it's the most aggressive tone I've heard from any elected official about the situation with the unions, especially the Providence Teachers Union. I, I would go so far as to say he's been even more aggressive than any of the Republicans that are at the state house. But he basically says this system is broken. The problem is the contract. The problem is the union and lays out, especially on Channel 10, a little bit more of when a school is failing, which they're they're all failing, but close it and then reopen it as a charter school. So I want to get your thoughts. And I know some people immediately hear Mayor Lorza, they start taking shots at him. But I, I thought he was very articulate. He was right on the money. And, and the part that also got a people's attention was he said he would not send his son to the public schools in Providence. Yeah, I mean, but but isn't that obvious? I mean, it's, one of those, it's another truth that you're just not allowed to say. You know, if you have the means, get your kids out of those schools. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just an obvious thing you ought to do as a parent, I think. Uh, so he's just being honest there. And I think, I mean, I, I've got to give him, on other issues, he seems not to have, have come around so much. But on this one, he, he's definitely, as I say, been red-pilled. I mean, he's definitely looked at the beast and said, yeah, this is a beast. I mean, that's, that's really a refreshing kind of first step in all this. And, and the call to make them all charter schools, that's really, uh, that's just a really a cloaked way to say the, the labor unions need to be shaken up and taken out of the equation. And we need to start having incentives in schools for them to perform, which is what folks like us have been saying for decades. But, you know, it's, it's great to see it, you know, starting to get some purchase uh, and they've done similar things in Massachusetts and Massachusetts, although I, I still think they, their system could improve. I mean, they're, they're consistently rated among probably the best in the country. Oh yeah. So that's one of the things they did is if your school is failing, it closes down and can reopen under as a charter or, or a school choice starts to get implemented. And I think that's what it really comes down to. And everybody knows it. It's, it's just like the homeless. It's an issue we're not allowed to really discuss. Everybody knows it's the labor unions run them as their as as a way to gain money and create jobs and gain political that's what they do. And they're destroying the lives of hundreds of thousands of Rhode Island children. So it's, in some ways, it's, it's almost shocking. It, it, it's, a, it's a surprise for a mayor to come out of office and say, yeah, this is a big problem here. But that's, that's really what it is. They've got, they've got to get in there. And I, I, we're, not, we're definitely not seeing the, the, the chutzpah to do it in this, at the state level. So I don't, I don't think the state takeover is going to bear any fruit on this at all it's just going to be another way how can we offload the blame and pretend we're we're coming up with a solution that may work in 10 20 years that's that's going to be no solution at all but it, it's it's nice of alorza he i mean to, to come out and, and advocate this way but i think you know rather than shuffling off to be part-time professor at roger williams he ought, he ought to be it's an issue. I mean, he ought to stay on this. Now that he's seen it, he ought to be an advocate and make sure everybody else can see what he sees now. I think, um, well, several things. Number one, the Channel 12, uh, one of the people at Channel 12 even tweeted out as the audio was playing, 
there were audible gasps at some of the things that he said. Now, that tells me that they, whoever was gasping, you know, doing that when he would say certain things, they don't fully comprehend just what the situation is. That and Steph Machado, who was doing the interview for um, Channel 12, Gene Velicente had him as a guest on 10 News Conference. She was even questioning him with what I would call some of the union talking points, which is, are you afraid, you know, some of the teachers, they'll leave feeling disrespected. That's that's a union talking point. Oh, the teachers are disrespected. And then, you know, another thing they say is this whole business of, oh, what are you going to do? Just close all the schools if there'd be no options. What, what I found interesting, Justin Katz, is he finally came out and said, the problem here is is the union. That you can't unless we can rip up the contract, they have too much power. The system is built to fail. You can't get rid of bad teachers. Uh, there's different changes we need to make. I, I think part of the I think part of the problem is that the media doesn't do enough, as we talked about, to dig in on the other side. For instance, last week, and I don't want to get your thoughts. It was huge that you know the union link. They're going to close three schools. Well, what is then not reported is. Yeah, but they would reopen them as charter schools. Therefore, the problem is the union. You cannot have a successful school in Providence if the union is running it because there's too many barriers to actually have a real education. Absolutely. I mean, getting back to the media, the idea that there's there would be audible gasps. The first reaction of a real journalist upon finding him or herself gasping at something, uh, an outgoing mayor, to write it down and make a note, I'm going to dig into this and find yes. out why he say such a thing. I'm good. Is that true? I'm going to look into it. I'm going to find the truth here. They don't want to do that, though. They don't want to do that because they know everybody already knows what they're going to find, and they don't want to find it. They don't want to find that unions are destroying schools and really ought to be made illegal in the Constitution, if possible, for, for public education. I mean, that's that's really what they're going to find, and they know it. They, they ought to be digging. What's What are the results here? And they'll find, and this is another thing I'm sure they, they would hate to discover, they'll find that folks like you, me, Mike Stenhouse and the Center for Freedom and Prosperity all have been right all along. You don't yeah. need to, you don't need to necessarily close everything down. You don't even need to to empty the schools from the from the unions and find all charters. All you need to do is start implementing school choice where some parents get a choice. Yep. It will increase, and we did a study when I was with the center, it will increase the amount of money going to education because if you give parents some money for a private school, they'll come up with to do it or other groups will uh, for charitable donations churches will give to their, their parishioners that kind of thing you'd draw billions probably at this point of dollars into public into education by creating some choice and you would you can absolutely allow private schools and charters to start to grow gradually and what will happen is not only will they they give students an immediate access to improved education. The incentive will be there and the system will break the unions. The systems will say, look, we cannot do this or we're going to be out of business in two years. You have to negotiate more fairly. You have to give in some of these, these wild perks you get. That would, that's what would happen instantly. Instantly, none of these. Oh, we've got a. I mean, I think we're going to talk about Shikarchi's interview with the Globe. We're, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to give it ten years with the state takeover. Yeah, ten years. That's an entire kids. You, you've lost every kid who started yeah. in kindergarten at that point. That's not acceptable. You need an immediate solution, and it's very easy. It doesn't have to be all charter schools. And this, I think, is where Elors is still hedging his Democrat progressive bets here. But you don't need all charter schools. You just need choice. You need school choice, and that that's really will solve the problem in much, much more quickly. And it, more importantly, it'll help you identify the problem, the things that are in the way, such right. as the unions, but there are others as well, you know, family issues and that kind of thing. Those will be identified more clearly as well. Yeah. I found it refreshing. And I hope, you know, since the John Hopkins report came out, there are still those in the media that say, well, you know, you got to get all the, as they call it, all the shareholders involved and you got to get input from everyone. And they have the, the, the union head, uh, doing interviews and and you know this goes back to you know Hummel having Bob Walsh on as the as the education expert and never they don't fully comprehend no you don't understand they are the problem they're not part of the problem you can't fire a bad teacher if you're a student and you get a bad teacher you're stuck for the year there's nothing you can do it's going to be a bad year and you can't fire anyone if you go to a school 
and you say, we want to do some of the things they do at the charter school, which is start earlier, stay later, try to implement different pr programs. Guess who steps in and says, no, you can't do that. It's, it's the union. So I, I agree. You know, it's like they're still blind to the fact and those talking points being used. Oh, you know, you're disrespecting teachers. That's that's a union talking point. All of those um, just finally, but all of those uh, instances last week of kids were crying because their school's going to be closed and the parents were upset. The parents should be demanding the school be closed. Ninety five percent of the kids can't do the work at grade level. And this is what has the kids crying. I mean, it is just one thing after another. All right, folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Uh, Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors, they specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation, Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401-580-1852. Based in Smithfield, Limitless Outdoors. They also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces. Limitless Outdoors. Call them today. Free quote. Get the most of your outside. You're going to love what they can do for you. 401-580-1852. 401 580-1852, Limitless Outdoors. Dream, build, enjoy. Folks, joining us right now from the Boston Globe is columnist Dan McGowan. And Dan, once again, what a remarkable streak right now about these, uh, these Knicks. <laughs> I think that the only thing... Uh, I, I can't think of anything that's even... That's any more meaningful, right? Elon Musk is the biggest story in the world right now. You got... Uh, Zelinsky in the country today, but I think everybody should be focused on eight wins in a row uh, for, for the Knickerbockers. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, just a, a side, and you'll appreciate this, Rhode Island being Rhode Island, Friday night, I was attending a Christmas party, and for dinner, we sat down and seated next to me, so we got a chance to talk during the course of the dinner at the Christmas party. Happened to be from the Providence Police Department, and Mike Stevens, who's a big fan of yours, and you can appreciate the uh, the peering there. He what a great guy. We had a I, great time. I was gonna say I think he draw the short straw there because he was gonna have John DePietro next to him yeah. <laughs> the whole time. But you're what right, a, good, very good man, and I, and I really think, good guy. And I think to to the really to the police department's credit. Uh, the job that, that he has eventually found there, um, you know, after all the, the riffraff over whether he should be a major or not, it's actually the right job. He's got a, you know, he's got some level of voice, the community. Uh, I think a lot of the guys who know him in the police department do like him. It's not as high profile as maybe it was designed to be. Uh, and that's probably the right thing for him uh, and for the department. Yeah, and it's funny. Our host was, you know, later told me, "Listen, you're a good guy. He's a good guy. I peered you guys up, so uh, the two of you get to know each That's other. Fantastic. We had a really, yeah, really, really good time." And Dan McGowan, one of the things we talked about, and I told him, I was telling there's some different people at the party, is I was blown away at the your former colleague Steph Machado's exit interview with Mayor Alorza. Now, as someone you've covered him. For eight years, uh, I, I think right now he's saying things that no other elected official will say. And, of course, he then, you know, repeated some of it. It wasn't it didn't. I don't think he got as much attention on uh, on 10 news conference. It's kind of become the line, though, he 
because now I'm seeing other people ask, well, would you send your children there? But I'm talking about Mayor Lorza, uh, that exit interview. He would not send Omar's son to the Providence Public Schools. Boy, he is just – if people will stop and listen, what he's saying actually makes sense. But some of it is, is seemingly just kind of get washed away because people are so blown away at some of the statements he's making. Yeah, you know, he certainly uh, – for a guy who I would say has not played – uh, politics or the media, sometimes it's the same, quite well over his eight years, uh, he sure knows how to go out with a bang. Uh, wow. Because the mayor knows exactly what he's doing um, on his way out the door. This is not, um, you know, I'm just sitting down and, you know, uh, saying a few things on my mind. This is how the mayor, have, you know, had developed this feeling over the course of particularly, I think, the second term in office. You know, right after the, the his last year as a first term, the province teachers, of course, you know, shouted him down at his state of the city address. Uh, you know, uh, kind of famously made his mother cry, um, and he has never forgiven them for that. More importantly, though, I should say that that sounds like I'm just saying. You know, he's got a grudge. He, he, you're right. If people out there, and I think a lot of your listeners, certainly a lot of my readers, I think look at Mayor Lurie and they see an administration that was kind of all over the place. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff around, you know, uh, you know, reparations and municipal, you know, uh, guaranteed income. A lot of people don't love that, you know, that idea. He certainly is a guy who um, ideologically is a, is far to the left, but he is speaking truth to power here on the on the Providence teachers and on the Providence school situation. That was a candid view. You remember back when when Angelica Infante Green first took office, she made a similar. She said she wouldn't send her kids to the Providence schools. Now she never ended up living in Providence. It's much more significant, I think, with the outgoing mayor who's got a kid going into kindergarten, um, is is saying that. And, you know, it is, I think it's, it is to some degree strategic. The one criticism I would have of him on, on this topic is I do wish that he was more aggressive when he had a chance to be with the sure. Providence teachers. In yep. first, if you think about it, in the first term in office, the first four years, he signed two, not one, two Providence teachers contracts um, you know, one very quietly right after he took office that he was kind of dealt, you know, the hand that Angel Tavares gave him. And then he signed another contract after he won um, re-election. That was after he had had all those fights with the teachers. You know, neither one of those contracts were particularly substantive, as he'll admit, as he, he, he you know, consciously admits. But you know, the, the, the argument that he's making is I need the mayor, the incoming mayor, as much as everybody, you know, and I'm, I'm, as Dan McGowan as a columnist is guilty of this, you know, as much as we all kind of think Brett Smiley is prepared to kind of do a good job, be it in, in you know, he's ready to do this job. What, what Mayor Alorza is saying is I need the mayor elect to understand that there is no reason to have, you know, prolonged negotiations with these Providence teachers. Exactly. He's saying I need to understand this. This is not a, he, I think he said this, I don't know if it was on Gene's uh, interview or it was on Steph's interview, but his point is, I came in, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I thought yep. that I could come in there and make a difference because I was different. And he, and he said, look, <laughs> there's nobody, no individual that can right. make a significant difference with these Providence teachers. And that's why he's so aggressive. And I think, I don't think he's going to go away. I think you're going to hear him talking about this in one way or another. Um, for a very long time to come. Remember, he's a young guy. He's still in his early 40s. That's right. And Dan McGowan, but a couple things about that, uh, and I agree with it. It's a fool's errand to try to negotiate. You and I both know Fonte Green uh, under Raimundo. They spent hours the back and forth, a different room. In some way, it's almost like you playing their, their, their hands. But what about, what do you make of um, him saying that he basically said Governor McKee betrayed the children of school made every concession union wanted. Now, Dan McCown, that that sounds strong, but that wasn't this the same guy that was standing there at the press conference for the Superman building saying, "I got to give credit to Governor Dan McKee." Well, this is again the the strange thing for for folks, as I say, out there who listen to you or, li or read and listen to me. 
you know, you, when you look at the legacy of this mayor, yeah, you, you almost you have to kind of take it kind of issue by issue because there are things you know. I, I think uh, we'll be sure we'll talk about this, but you know, on economic development stuff, I right. think he ceded all of that to the state. He had no interest in it, and he um, really gave up a lot of power and those kind of things. Um, you know, but on public employee unions, I mean, I remember you years ago, you know, cheered him on to some degree when he was taking on the Providence firefighters, right? Yeah. He's a guy who who has been willing to, based on the, the office, I mean, he said this, right? The, the being the chief executive of a city, all of them, all mayors, unless you're really beholden to the unions, they always have big fights. He fought eight years with the Providence firefighters, right? Yes. Tavares, uh was was favorable to the firefighters, but fought with the police. He fought with the teachers. So this is not uncommon in any way at all. Um, he he wants people to know. You know, I was I was willing to kind of hold the line. Now, again, his the, the challenge with this is, you know, for people out there is you 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 know you hear okay, I was willing to take on the union. The money I wanted to invest, though, you know, was going to very liberal causes and things like that. And that's what makes right. people say, oh, I don't like him. He, he, he is, he, if, if nothing else, he's pretty consistent, though. I mean, he, is. he hasn't really flipped. You know, a couple of things, charter schools, I think he changed around on a little bit. But I would argue, I think you would, too, he came around to the right side of charter schools. So credit yes. to him on that. Yes. And I, I think, uh, Dan McGowan, also, there's an element of, whether it is someone in Mayor Lorza's position and or the charter school people themselves, they need to educate people more about what makes them work, uh, how it works. It is public. There's, there's a lot of unknowns. For instance, I know in certain areas of Florida, if they deem a public school is, is quote, like a failing school, yeah. boom, then they allow a charter school to open within that region. So then you have an option. I don't think people fully explain that. No, because well, you, then you right, you hear people saying, "Oh, so then there's no school. You're going to close all the schools. You're actually doing it kind of one at a time and allowing the charter school, in essence, to provide competition for the public school." More than that, I mean, the thing is that there's lots of issues that you can kind of almost uh, you can almost hide behind current federal law if you want to really reform the schools. The federal law right now. This was an started out as no child left behind under Bush, as you remember. But then under President Obama, they revamped no child left behind. They changed the law to some degree, but they kept something in place. If, if your state, and this is every state in the country, every state is required to identify the bottom 5% of, of, of lowest performing schools in their state. That is, again, required by federal law. Rhode Island just did it. Uh, as you can imagine, the vast majority of those schools are in Providence. And when those, those schools are identified, you have just dramatic ability to make changes. In some states, it's close it down. Uh, in many states, in fact, it's close it down. In Rhode Island for a time, under Deb Gist, uh, this, the idea was close those schools down. Now you're seeing a much more, I think, um, you know, kind of pro-union approach to this, which is let's throw lots of money at the problem. Let's try to change the contract around here and there. And I think this is what frustrates Mayor Lorza is he's saying, look, on the ground, I, I see no difference. In fact, I think things are worse. And so all of these, you know, the, the laws that are in place, nobody takes, you know, real advantage of them. That's his gripe with the state takeover. That's what the point of the takeover was to, to really rip up the contract and change things. And so this is where the mayor comes back to, he's right. Nobody really takes this seriously, even though they do actually, in his opinion, uh, have the tools to actually make these changes. Folks, quick break. We want to hear our next segment where uh, Dan McGowan and also his colleague Ed Fitzpatrick sat down with Senate President Dominic Ruggiero. It's all ahead right here on the John DePietro Show. Falcon Pest Services, 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401 739-1322. Free consultation, 
1322. Locally owned and operated, serving Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. They offer services for termites, bed bugs, ants, roaches, mice, rats, in the summertime, spring, fall, mosquitoes, and many other pests. Call today for a free consultation, whether it's for your home or a restaurant. Maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once a month. Call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401 739 1322. Residential and commercial, whether it's an office building, a school, a hotel, a restaurant, or your home. Call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401 739 1322 to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com remember weekdays 11 to 2 but visit the website dipetro.com that's the best way to reach me there's a direct link contact john we also have all our sponsors right there. We have unique, original reporting, stories, videos. Also, all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, when we do Facebook Live, or YouTube, or Twitter. It's all right there at the website, petro.com And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop. We have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening. All links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show right there folks it all starts by logging on at dipetro.com and on the left hand side you can always listen live again all our links everything begins and ends right there at the website dipetro.com this is the perfect time of year to have some paving done for your home residential commercial seal coating and patios make it letter j j perry paving they provide high quality fair pricing exceptional service call them today for a free estimate 401-732-1730 the next couple of months get your driveway prepared for winter time call j perry paving today for a free quote 401-732-1730 licensed and insured contracted company committed to meeting their clients needs no matter how big or how small whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving today. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Remember, even asphalt can be recycled, reused. Call them for a free quote. Letter J, J. Perry Paving. Look for them on Facebook and call 401-732-1730. Remember, no one's better to veterans than J. Perry Paving. Call them today, 401 732 1730 high quality fair pricing exceptional service free estimate j perry paving 401-732-1730 thing to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm remember you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com folks visit the website on the website you'll see all our links to social media whether it's facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok. Plus, you if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, dipetro.com. Mm-hmm.